You know where we're going to be, so get to Genesis chapter 2. I asked them that because, of course, I don't know you. I don't know the church dynamics. I don't know, uh, in general, where the church psychology is. Every church has a personality. Every church has a a mindset. And I know our church, um, but that's all I know. I've... What I should have opened up with, so you know me a little bit, is uh, your pastor brought me out of obscurity to come down here. I grew up at the church that I'm at. I'm pastoring now. I've been there since I was a kindergartner, and I didn't go away to Bible school. I was mentored by my pastor. I did some correspondence work, but I was essentially homegrown. I was tailored for my little part of the world. It's all I know. Uh, I'm designed for suburban western New York. I know the dynamics of our church very well, having been there, I'm them. And so I'm relatively ignorant to other churches and other preachers, so I come in really blind, not really sure what Ohio's like, what hope is like. I don't know if this is really hard or really old-fashioned, or if it's what you're used to or what you're along. So it's just me trying to get to know you, and as you can tell, I'm passionate about reintroducing what I think is those biblical foundations into our church at home and any, any chance I have here. Um, what Pastor John just said to you now is what I'm hearing more and more. When I present to a couple, because I work with couples either premaritally or after they get married and they have some issues, I will tell them what is undeniably true about the genders and about marriage in general. And there is a defense mechanism that says, we're the exception. I hear that often, where a couple will say, well, I think I am the exception, or we're the exception. I'm telling you, there are no exceptions to this rule. There are a million variations, all right? Men are this way, and women are this way. There are a million variations of men and women, but you're not crossing that line. Uh, That's why when now people, this confusion about gender uh, transformation and homosexual marriages, it's a disaster, because people are trying to be something they're not. And even in uh, homosexual relationships, we all see it. One is more masculine and one is more feminine because they're trying to fit into that design. So I would just encourage you to see yourself as a variation of one of these things, not the exception, because you're not. It is unbelievable to me in my small world There isn't a couple that sits in front of me to have a casual conversation or a serious conversation that I can't immediately identify the issue with them because it's male and female related. It's just that that obvious. And when you start telling people these things, they listen, light bulbs go off like crazy. You can take this into parenting. Parents make the same mistake. Parents try to raise their children the same. And they wonder why Johnny's not responding the way Susie was. Because they're not the same. He's a boy and she's a girl. You cannot parent them the same way. And we're going to talk more about that today. So that's the foundation. Now we can build on it. I think it wildly appropriate to conclude that God knew what he was doing. I just, you know, I think we can start with that. And he designed us to be male and female, to be different very intentionally for the purpose of relational intimacy. I wonder if you would agree with me. Men work better with men than they do with women. And I think you might agree with me, despite it being a little more dramatic, that women work better with women than they do with men. Again, that one's a little harder because there's a lot more dynamics, right? A woman's work 
eat, sleep. So when guys get together, work, eat, sleep, sex, sports. I mean, we just got it. But a woman's got a lot more going on there. But women work better with women because they think alike. They problem solve alike. They speak alike. When they talk, they know what the other person is saying. Guys are the same way. We know what, we know what just was said. Yeah. We got it, right? Because we're on the same, the same wavelength. And, and that's why if God would have just made marriage, you know, different reproductive organs, but same mindset, same, you know, vision, perspective, marriage would be a lot easier, actually. You're all hesitant, like, what? Yeah, of course it would be. If you think the same way as your spouse, it'd be, this, it'd be easy. But here's the problem. It would never be intimate. And I'm not referring to sexual intimacy. I'm referring to relational intimacy. Now, be careful with the exception thing again. You're going to say, well, I'm the exception. I want you to all think in your minds about your same-sex friends. So guys, you think about your guy friends. Ladies, you think about your lady friends. And tell me this isn't true. None of your friends have fundamentally changed you for who you are. I didn't say they didn't influence you. I didn't say they didn't have an impact on you. I didn't say that they didn't counsel you when you made some changes. But women are not fundamentally changed by women friends, and men are not fundamentally changed by men friends. Why would we be? We think alike. You're right, because that's how I think. We're on the same page. We'll keep thinking the same way. You're validating my thoughts, in fact. You're validating my perspective. You're validating my approach. So let's do it. Power to men and power to women, and we just go on and have a great time. And you never change. Do you know there cannot be relational intimacy without deep personality character changes? There just can't be. In fact, we're closest to the people in life with whom we went through the most with. Blood, sweat, and tears, you get close to somebody when you shed those things. And we don't, guys don't shed those together. The only time we cry together is when our sports team loses. <laughs> Girls do cry a little more together, but that's not because, you know, there are relation, fundamental relationship problems. They're just variations of smaller problems. Marriage... Marriage was designed, and I'll finish with this later to remind you, but marriage was always God's intention to change who we are fundamentally. Two people, distinct individuals, different people, coming from different places, created at different times, do different things. How do they become one without fundamentally changing who they are? That's what marriage is supposed to be. It's the process of becoming one. If I can embarrass Matthew and Morgan, you're the new, newlyweds around here, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to really embarrass you. But these two people, if you've been married for any length of time, will be very different in 20, 30, 40 years. Right, Oscar? Yes, sir. They'll be different. Because if they're going to stay together, they have to make massive changes to who they are. Well, after 30, 40 years of making massive changes together, sweating, crying, Hopefully not too much blood. You have relational intimacy. Which is why God knows what he's doing. Genesis 2 teaches and alludes to the framework of marriage, or what I might call the path to marital intimacy, and it's a good one. 
but it's a hard one, and it hinges on that foundation that we are different. Let's look at it. Verse 21 again. Genesis 2, 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he, God, took one of his Adam ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, verse 24, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. God said that according to Matthew 19.5. And we conclude the chapter by reading, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Pastor John, what time do I have till? Oh, we'll be well underneath that. Good, good, good. All right, write down number one. And you're going to write down three things if you want to write down anything. But the first one is this. Marital intimacy requires, number one, the sacrifice of the man. Marital intimacy requires the sacrifice of the man. We've already determined that the Bible is not shy about telling us who God created first. We've seen that both in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and in the New Testament in Paul's epistle to Timothy. Which is why we also noted the Bible isn't shy about telling us who is designed to lead a marriage. And so, gentlemen, if there is any lack of marital intimacy in your marriage, you have to assume responsibility for that. Because God made you first, and he made you in a very intentional way. It, it is fascinating to me that God gives us the record of this chapter because God didn't create Eve at the same time as Adam very intentionally. He could have. He could have created her at the same time and they would have woke up together and like, wow. But God intentionally put Adam first in the garden all by himself. And then God brought all the animals to Adam and he wanted to see what he would call them. And Adam's looking all around and loving paradise and we'll call you a giraffe and you'll be a zebra and you'll be a monkey and he names all these animals but he's just still God wanted him to experience loneliness he wanted him to see that it's not a lot of fun to live in a world by yourself so that when Adam said or God said to Adam now lay down we're gonna we're gonna take something from you he would understand that the sacrifice he was about to give was worth it because loneliness was not what it was all cracked up to be and so this rib that God took from him is not only literal, but it's symbolic. God took from Adam something that, here it comes, was close to his heart. Because Adam learned at the very beginning that if you're going to enjoy companionship, you have to sacrifice something dear to your heart. There's no way around it. Not at all. And gentlemen, the picture is abundantly clear. If you want relational intimacy, you must give up something dear to your heart. I've spent time with couples, uh, broken couples, and there is always, always in my ministry, which I know is a small, a small snippet, but always at, at the bottom of that marital problem, the common denominator in every marital problem is the man will not sacrifice something for his wife everyone. He hunts too much. He just always goes hunting. It's hunting season. And he just abandons me and he won't, he won't scale back. He won't, he won't stop just a little bit. 
You know, he's always in the garage working on his car. He never comes home on Saturdays. He's always working on a Saturday. He won't give up any family traditions. He's always going to mom and dad's, and I'm always second. A woman is always, 100% of the time, capital letters, going to feel unloved if a man doesn't sacrifice something for her. Always. Period. Uh, in preparing for this, it dawned on me, men get away with marrying wives or marrying women without ever sacrificing anything. It dawned on me. A man can marry a woman without ever giving anything up because he can win her heart over with flowers, with time, all that he fits into his schedule. He can win her heart over with good ears and, and gets married and still hasn't sacrificed anything which tells me marital intimacy can't be purchased with a diamond ring. It can't be found at the altar just because you say you do, and it can't be experienced at a coffee shop while you're getting to know her. Marital intimacy, gentlemen, through the picture of Adam, this absence of loneliness, it comes with you and me as men first giving something up. And there are two things that Adam was told he had to give up. One was a rib. The second one was his parents. I've always found it fascinating, haven't you, that God said out loud at this first wedding ceremony that uh, you're going to cleave to your wife, but you're going to forsake mom and dad? And Adam's like, who's that? <laughs> right? What's this mother-father business? Well, obviously he was saying that for all future descendants, but, but I've got to think, and it actually foreshadows, it actually points us to something in the New Testament. Can you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and I'll say while you're turning there, ladies, you are worth the sacrifice. Uh, the reason the world has turned against the biblical uh, perspective of both men and women is because for too long the church and the men leading the churches have treated women like second-class citizens, have abused them, have overlooked them, have minimized them. And as a result, there has been not only in the world, but there has been a pushback within the church. And it has now silenced men. Men have gone the other way. We're weak, we're cowardly, we're afraid to bring up any difference. But the way the Bible paints the picture is, yes, there is this, we're going to talk about this order, this submission, this reverence. But if men would treat women for what they are, the, the crown jewel of humanity, if we would love and nurture and protect our wives, well, they would feel incredible. And there wouldn't be such a pushback. But I think, ladies, God made you to be the crown jewel of humanity, and God tasks us, men, with the responsibility to not just protect and provide, but to love you, to love you. Ephesians 5, verse 25, you note the language, the imagery of Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 are the same. Verse number 25, husbands, love your wives. That's the command. Even as Christ also loved the church, that's the example, and gave himself for it. That's the definition. There is no such thing as love without sacrifice. For God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son. There is no love without sacrifice. So when you and I, gentlemen, say to our wives, I love you, love you, I love you, I love you. If there's no sacrifice attached to that statement in your marriage, it means nothing. It means nothing. Men are funny. We have this idea that providing for our wives is the expression of love. 
Are you telling me you wouldn't provide for yourself if you weren't married? Well, I brought home a paycheck, woman. You wouldn't bring home a paycheck if you weren't married? You're providing for your own belly. Men just have a hard time understanding it because we're not that way. We're not that way. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse number 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse 33 Arguably the greatest and most important verse in all of Scripture for both men and women. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. I stand here tonight saying I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Jesus Christ loves me. Zero doubts. I have no question marks about Christ's love for me. Why? Not because he told me. Not because he wrote it down on a card, but because there's a cross with him hanging on it for me. His pain, he left father, as the passage would imply. He left his father, and he came and he sacrificed his body. It hurt him, and that demonstrated to me, like, wow, he loves me. He loves me. And guys, there is no way around it. Your wife will not feel loved if she doesn't see any sacrifice. This is the framework of marriage. This is, this is the way God started marriage. It was a sacrifice of Adam to get companionship. He had to give up something, and then God told him to give up something else if he was going to embrace her. There is no shortcut to marital intimacy. And this is why men, ladies, in case you're wondering, this is why men walk away from marriage every day. Because they don't want to give up their guns. They don't want to give up their time. They don't want to give up their golf. They don't want to give up their guy time. They don't want to give up their football. They don't want to give up their schedule. And so they'd rather just walk away from marriage altogether than sacrifice. And guys will say to each other, oh man, she's so unreasonable. Uh, I don't ask her to give anything up. Ah, that's because you're not like her. Did you know in the Bible, here's a fascinating tip for you. In all of Scripture, I can only find one passage that suggests that women are supposed to love their husbands. And it's attached to older women teaching younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. So it like almost doesn't count because she's loving the husbands and the children. This wonderful, amazing woman, Proverbs 31, she's virtuous. She's the pinnacle of women, right? She's incredible. Her husband boasts about her. Her kids praise her. Do you know of any references in that chapter of her loving her husband? Because it's not in there. You see, men don't need what women need. And so because we don't need it, we think she doesn't need it. So we don't give it. funny in the bible we have pictures of humanity but we ignore them one of those pictures is genesis 29 where leah one of the wives of jacob by the way polygamy is a nightmare male and female created he them not male and females created he them 
uh, it says that she conceived, she bare a son. She calls his name Reuben. And then she says, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. <gasps> now, therefore, will my husband love me. She was so desperate for love that she thought she could give her husband a son and that would make him love her. She doesn't understand men. Men don't care. We're not like that way. Just because you gave me a baby doesn't mean I'm going to love you. Which is why, again, if you watch humanity and you look at it through the Bible, have you not all known women who just keep going back to her miserable, terrible husband and thinks giving, her, giving him a baby will make him happy and love me again? And it never does. It just creates more children in a bad marriage that grow up without two good parents. Women long for and they crave love. And if they don't get it, there will be no marital intimacy. So, guys, if you want that relational companionship that Adam got through Eve, I would have to ask, what have you sacrificed for your wife? And let me be more specific. What has hurt you to lose something? Because the example is Christ. It wasn't just a, sure, I'll give my life when he dies. It was a painful death. So, what has hurt you? Now that sounds maybe too mean to you. Like, I shouldn't have to give up something like that to her. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you do. That's why if you were honest, if you look back in your marriage and you think, when was my wife the happiest? You'll find places where you gave something up and your wife knew that it was hard for you to give it up. Maybe you were going to go golfing and you... You went out the door to get your clubs and you came in five minutes later and she says, what are you doing? Hi. I want to stay home with you. <laughs> you sure? Right? She just... <laughs> Guys, isn't this true? Your wife goes out the door to go shopping and she comes back five minutes later and you're like, what are you doing? I want to stay home with you. Why? <laughs> we, Ladies, we, we don't need you to sacrifice anything for us. We don't care. Go shopping. Right? It's just, but what is that? That's, that's a difference that's fundamental to who we are. But because we think you think like us, and we think you feel like us, we don't ever sacrifice for you because we don't need it from you. And that's why women inherently feel unloved and never experience marital intimacy now let me let me touch on something that i love to preach when i have a chance in a full message and this is not to condescend to anyone it's not to minimize anything here it's a very sensitive thing but guys your wife she may ridicule you at times she may criticize you unjustly now all of us in this room, if we were honest, would say, yeah, that's what she does. We don't like it, but we also don't have that pink brain that thinks about a million things, which means she thinks about a lot of things we do wrong. But there are times when our wives will criticize us unjustly, they'll ridicule us, they'll hurt us. Gentlemen, this is the moment that you give something up to show your wife you love her. You say, what is it? P R I, D, E, pride. When she comes after you, 
and you know it's not fair, it's not true, you just shut your mouth and you just let her say what she has to say because when she puts the hammer down from crucifying you, she's going to reflect and say, wow, he just listened to me when I said some awful things. He must love me to tolerate that. Didn't we do that to Jesus Christ? We crucified him. We took the hammer and nails. And when we put the hammer down, we just think, wow, he loves us. He loves us. For what it's worth. Genesis 2, you should be there. Let's look at verse 23. You're not there, that's right. You were in Ephesians 5. Guess what? We're going back to Ephesians 5, so you should have put your finger there. That's my fault. We have till 10.30, Pastor John said, so we'll be fine. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to read one verse, and there's ver something very subtle that's revealed in what wasn't said in this verse or after this verse. So let's read it, Genesis 2.23. And Adam said, once he sees Eve, because she was just created from his rib, God brought her to him. And Adam said, wow, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We're going to stop right there. And what I'm about to say, as I just referenced something sensitive, is not meant to be funny. It's not meant to be comical in any way. I'm not looking to condescend or to degrade anyone in this room. But in this moment at that first wedding, Eve would have unknowingly felt incredibly loved because she realized she came from Adam and he gave up a rib for her to exist. That sacrifice would have touched her heart. That's how God made her. And as she felt loved... Adam was feeling fulfilled in his own way, not just because he saw this amazing woman in front of him and he now could share life together and he had somebody there with him, but there was something else that almost no one sees in this story because it's not written. There's no sacrifice on Eve's part, but she did something, or maybe I should rephrase that. She did nothing and it meant a lot to him. He said, what are you talking about? Well, what did she do when Adam said, you, Eve, you're bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, I'm going to call you woman. What did she do in response to that? Again, this is not meant to be funny, but it's the truth. She did nothing. She did nothing. What do you mean? She didn't correct him. She didn't roll her eyes. She didn't shake her finger and said, no, 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 I call myself what I want. No, 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 I'm my own woman. No, you don't tell me who I am. You don't tell me what my name is. No, she just listened to him. And here it is, here it is. She trusted him with his assessment of her, with his assessment of the picture, which is why, number two, if we're going to have marital intimacy in our marriages, it requires not only the sacrifice of the man, and that's first, but it requires the trust of the woman. I know this would be very offensive to even point these things out to a lot of people, and maybe it is to you. I would ask that you don't get offended. But uh, every man in this room, whether he has enough boldness and courage to admit it or not, every man in this room 
All he wants from his wife is trust. When he says, hey, we're going to take a left because that gets us to the place we're going, he wants his wife to just go, okie dokie, even if he's wrong. Every man in this room wants his wife to just say, yeah, you know what? I'm behind you. You want to name me woman? I'm cool with that. You think I'm bone of your bones, flesh of your flesh? I love it. Ladies, if you do that for a man, he will love you the rest of your life. Guys aren't saying amen because they're scared of getting one of these things. <laughs> Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read some more you know, uncomfortable verses if we're in 2024. But uh, it worked in 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote it. So I think we should employ that in our marriages and teach our children for their marriages. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21, the Bible tells us to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. That, that sounds reasonable, right? All of us submitting to each other in the fear of God. That sounds good. We like it. I'm okay with it. You should be okay with it. Well, then verse 22, Paul's got to go and do it. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, how did submission just go from acceptable to difficult to swallow? because it's attached to a woman, which becomes a curse word in our politically correct culture. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Ah, that's really hard to do. But let's go down to verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. That's first. Amen. But the verse continues and finishes, and let the wife see that she... What? Reverence? Her husband? Is that what your Bible say? Reverence. We're going to put reverence now in a marriage, and it's a woman's job to give to her husband. That sounds wildly sexist, doesn't it? Thank you. <laughs> but if God said it, he must know something about men. Yes. And last I checked, he created them male and female. So God says to a man, love your wife, and he says to a woman, respect your husband, trust your husband. Do you think women are doing that in today's culture? I don't see it. In fact, we kind of make light and joke about how women can just belittle their husbands in public. It's kind of funny to do, right? We kind of have a blast doing it. And we wonder why marriages seem so unfulfilled. Why men in particular seem so quiet. I, I, um, I told you I counsel couples, and I love to tell young couples who are about to get married... Uh, why their parents' marriage is bad. It's kind of fun. I'll say, tell me about your parents' marriage. And they'll say, well, my dad just sits in the recliner, and mom just kind of does all the talking, and he just kind of nods his head. I go, okay, let's talk about that. Do you know why your dad sits in the recliner, reads his newspaper, and mom's doing you know, the talking? No. So at one point they got married, and they were full of optimism and hope and promise that their marriage is going to be wonderful. And the man shared his ideas with his wife, and she told him, you're stupid. 
<laughs> and he thought that was odd. I thought she loved me. Um, okay. Although time goes on and he began to open his heart and just talk about life. And she says, you're an idiot. He thought that's strange too. I've never told my wife she's stupid. I've never told my wife she's an idiot. But she calls me that. Huh. Well, they get in the car and they take a drive. And she says, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you driving so fast? Slow down. Don't get so close to the mailbox. And he just, this isn't the first time I've driven. But he begins to realize she inherently thinks I'm an idiot. So the only way we survive this marriage is I stop talking so I won't get ridiculed. So by the time they're married for 25, 30 years, he's learned to do what men do. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wherever you want to go. If you want to. Whatever it takes. Yep. And we wonder why dads seem to check out, why husbands seem to check out. Because they want, they need, they crave something, and they've never told wives about it. It's respect. It's honor. It's like uh, reverence. Yeah, well, in our culture, you've got to earn it, buddy. Show me in Ephesians 5.33 where God says a man has to earn his reverence. It's not there, is it? I love this that I'm not your pastor, so I get to get in my car on Monday. And, you know. I know a, a couple I've dealt with. They're out of state. Incredible couple. They know their Bibles inside and out. They're, they're just awesome people, super godly people. Their marriage isn't great, so I gave them a book called Love and Respect. I don't know if some of you have read it or heard about it, but it's based entirely on Ephesians 5.33. And they've been married now for 40 years. I gave the man the book. His mind was blown. Blown. He says, there it is. That's been the problem in our marriage for 40 years. I go, I know. It's awesome. He gave the book to his wife. She read a quarter of it, closed it, and set it down and said, no, thank you. And here, cue the music. Pastor John, control yourself. <laughs> How does... Control yourself. How does a godly woman who knows her Bible inside and out, who loves God, rejects a book based on a verse that is very clear? Yeah. Yeah. You want to know how? She has fallen for, as has our entire society, that honor is earned. Respect is earned. And if you hurt me, you don't deserve my respect. That's kind of what happens, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? We're idiots. We're going to hurt you. Because we think about, I think I said five things. So we forget to say the things that we should say. We forget to do the things we should do. We're going to hurt you. And if every time we hurt you, you think that you're disqualified from honoring your husband, you're going to be shocked when he slowly but systematically pulls himself out of the marriage and becomes a... Uh-huh. Sure. Wherever you want to go. Whatever you want to do. And he's never going to say to you, all I need is trust. I don't need love. Now, let me, to your defense, ladies, your mother hasn't taught you that. And her mother didn't teach her that. And your pastors, not referring, referring to your church, but your pastors broadly in Christianity aren't teaching you that. 
because it's not super popular to talk about a woman reverencing her husband in a culture where men are systematically demonized because we're so bad. And I'm going to tell you, because I have no skin in the game, you don't have to respect your husbands. But if you want marital intimacy, it's going to require you to honor your husband. And that's hard, because he's an idiot. He is. He is. He's an idiot. But how can you respect him? You're in a culture where we, we find it, like, fun to dishonor people in authority. For a living, companies, networks, hosts, blogs, they mock the President of the United States of America. A position, regardless of the person, that demands, deserves our honor, not because of the Constitution, not because of our country, but because Romans 13 says that we are to render everyone their dues, honor to whom honor is due. But we're in a culture that says, no, 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 you prove yourself, then I'll think about giving you respect. I got the <clears throat> the book that taught me this passage a year into our marriage. And you can ask my wife to af afterwards, but I said, where was this a year ago? Because it makes sense across the board. I didn't know how to communicate to my wife that all I needed was trust. And I didn't realize how much she needed love. Because, did I mention guys think like guys and women think like women? What was I doing to my wife to this day? We're 24 years into marriage. What do I do for her uh, instinctively? I honor her. She'll tell you. I don't ridicule her. I don't talk down to her. I don't tell her bad things about her. I honor her. I respect her. I hold her up. I don't give her enough praise as I should, but I hold her up. And I tell her, you can do it. You can do it. You're smart. You're strong. You can do it. That's what I do. Why do I do that? Because that's what a man needs. So he thinks she needs that. And that doesn't do anything for her. What she wants to see from me is, I'm not going golfing today. I'm going to hang out with you. And she melts. What does she do for me? She's really good at this. She loves me. My wife loves me. She'll give up things to be with me. But it doesn't have an impact on me. Like it does when she says to me, honey, you got this. And I fly. I'm like Superman. If she believes in me, I can do it. Ladies, I know this sounds foreign to you because you're like, that's stupid that you guys need that. Yeah. God made us that way. It's in the Bible, too. You don't have to take my word for it. But did I mention God never asked you to love your husband but in one passage? But yet he tells you over and over to submit, subject, but ultimately reverence him. It's like God knows what he's doing. Oh, and, and by the way, ladies, we don't want you to bow before us and tell us how great we are. We just want you to trust us. When we say something, she shall be called woman. We want you to just be like, okay, I wouldn't have done it that way, but all right. Yeah. It's all we want. That's all we want. All right, you don't believe me, I know. Quickly turn to 2 Samuel 6. See, the Bible is awesome because it just backs up everything that we know but don't know how to express or communicate. I did not expect to be this blunt and pointed, so I don't know. You evidently present a very tender heart or Pastor John paid me a lot of money. I don't know. <laughs> it's the music. <laughs> I definitely am angry. I'm angry, yeah. I'm ready to play my air guitar. If, jo if Pastor John had hair, he'd be banging it. That's getting thin quick. Uh, 
So he's putting that in his face to make up for it. Second <laughs> Samuel 6. I love it. Second Samuel 6. Quickly, we do have to get going. Second Samuel 6, verse 20. This is after David finally gets the Ark of the Covenant back to where it needed to be. Nobody died. It says in verse 20, Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncover themselves. That's what she said. Just like that. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. You see the tension here, right? They're a couple. Verse 22, And I will be yet more vile than thus and will be base in mine own sight and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of. Of them shall I be had in, what's the next word? Honor. You see, all she wanted was some honor. He didn't even need her praise. He just didn't need her criticism. But look at verse 23. This is Bible, people. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. In case you think that's God causing her to be barren, you're wrong. That means he never, never had sex with her again. He shut her out of his life. Why? Because she disrespected him on a day that was the highlight of him before God. He buried a man because he made a bad decision about the ark. And when he finally got it right, and he finally did it right, and he worshiped God and he rejoiced, and his heart was pure before God, he came home to a wife who just says, Now that was really nice. And he just thought, You can't even for a moment trust me. And he never went into her bedroom again for the rest of her life. Does honor mean something to us? Yes. It means as much to us as love, ladies, means to you. So as much as you need us to sacrifice to show you we love you, we need you to show us some honor. Call it ridiculous. You're welcome to do that. It's just the way we're made. We can't help ourselves. Back to Genesis 2 and we'll be done. Genesis 2, verse number 25. This is the verse we finished on in the passage and we'll finish on this evening. You've been a tremendous audience. You've been very gracious with me. Thank you for letting me yell at you. And I mean that. In today's culture, people would walk out, walk right out to be told these things. So you're to be, you're to be commended. Verse 25, Genesis chapter 2, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is the first usage of the word both in all of Scripture, and it's the picture of one flesh. And to be one flesh, you have to be of the same mind, if you would, as far as goals. You have to be on the same page to become one flesh. Adam sacrificed a rib, and Eve reverenced her husband, and as a result, they were drawn together, and the fulfillment of these emotional and spiritual responsibilities brought them physically together. Write down number three. Marital intimacy requires the humility of the couple. It starts with a man sacrificing. It, it then goes on to a woman trusting, but then both together have to be humble. That music is sick. Is that what worship's like at Hope on Sunday? <laughs> Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> 
Uh, did I mention at any point tonight that marriage isn't easy? Did I mention that? Because if I didn't, I, I should have. Marriage is really hard. It's really hard. And if we have pride at any place in our marriage, then you can kiss marital intimacy goodbye. Only by pride cometh contention. I can phrase it this way. Only by sin cometh marital tension. If you have any marital tension in your life at any point, somebody or both of you has pride. It's just how it is. Uh, the picture of Genesis 2 is the height of intimacy. There's no shame and there's total nakedness. So that teaches us if we're hiding something from our spouse, it can be small. It can be a, a little bit of our elbow. Well, there's some pride there because we don't want you to see what we think you won't like and we're afraid of your response. And so we're protecting ourselves. That's called pride. A true marriage that experiences intimacy, it's just like, here I am, flaws and all, weaknesses and all. I, I'm not quite what you hoped I'd be. I'm not quite what you thought I should be, but, but I want to be intimate with you, and here I am. Now, for Adam and Eve, it was easy for them because they didn't have anybody to compare themselves to, right? It's like, wow, you're amazing. You're amazing. They didn't know. <laughs> they probably were amazing since they were the first. I mean... But they have no idea. Like, wow, look at you. <laughs> you like blondes or brunettes? I don't know. You're a brunette. What's a blonde? <laughs> but this idea that there's nothing in the way, the New Testament rephrases it for us. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 5. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. So as Adam and Eve were intimately one by being naked and not being ashamed, you and I... We obviously can't walk around that way, but we should clothe ourselves every day and every night with humility. Humility. You're allowed to tell me that I'm not perfect. You're allowed to tell me you don't like something. You're allowed to tell me I need to fix something. Uh, there's no pride in me and there should be no pride in you. If there's no pride and if we're, humil if we're humble, well, there's a hope of change. Remember, I started the session tonight by saying marital intimacy happens when we change drastically. There can be no change in our lives if we're proud. In fact, that's kind of what happens in most of our marriages. We tell you, hey, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, well, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, but you need to change. Well, I'm not changing for you now. And we get stubborn and we refuse to change. And what does that do that makes us the same? Remember, guys don't change guys. Women don't change women. There might be a friendship there, but there's not intimacy there. And so if we remain who we are through the course of our marriage and we never change, never drastically change, then we're never going to experience relational intimacy. Humility is the path to ultimately together experiencing intimacy. So here's my final pitch to you as to what God did when he created man and woman. He said, I'm going to create man unique." I'm going to make him gifted and strong and inclined to do this, but I'm going to leave him deficient on some things. I'm going to leave him deficient where he's, you know, he doesn't have it all together. And then I'm going to create Eve, and I'm going to make her you know, strong and special and amazing and complicated and colorful, but I'm going to make her deficient too. And then I'm going to give them an attraction. They're going to say, ooh, and then they come together, and they like what they see, and they love the companionship, and then they start doing this because they're different. And he's like, she's nuts. I can't live with her anymore. He's the one who said you can't live with her and you can't live without her. That was Adam in the garden. 
And he wants to walk away, but he's like, but she looks so amazing. So he comes back and he says, you're crazy, but I can't leave you. If I'm going to stay with you, something's got to change. And God says, now you got it. You have to change. And Eve, she gets frustrated too because she, he doesn't think like me. And she, he doesn't care about the things I care about. So she goes away, but she likes the way he looks. And he offers something to her that she needs. So she comes back. And she says, I can't leave you, but if we're going to make this work, something's got to change. To which God says, now you got it. You do. You see, God designed us to be attracted to each other, but he also designed us to want something that the other, other person has. Men want sex and companionship. That's why they hesitate to leave. Women want security and children. That's why she hesitates to leave. So there's these deficiencies, this attraction that keeps bringing us together, and we realize at some point in a marriage, we can't keep doing what we're doing. We have to change. You need humility to change, but if you do that, you start to become one. And God says, now you're getting it. You know what marriage was always intended to be from the beginning, even in a perfect environment? God's agent of change. We were designed to be with each other, but it's not intimate. We're not one flesh until we become humble. So I would encourage you tonight to make sure your marriage is male and female. It's about love and respect, and humility is the hinge that gets you through the door of intimacy. If you have to be right all the time, or if you're terrified of being wrong, marital intimacy, relational intimacy, it'll only ever be a dream, never a reality. Humility needs to be the clothing that we put on. Let's, stand, let's have a word of prayer. I don't think you end up standing yet, right? That's a preaching thing? Yeah. Stay seated, but let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of laughter, but thank you also for the conviction of your word, for the guidance of your spirit. Marriage is such a gift, but it's such hard work. And help us, Lord, to take what are the critical passages in your word to heart, apply them to our lives, so that we can experience everything you originally intended for us, even in a cursed world. Thank you for these people. Bless them for their investment of time tonight. And God, I pray that you bless their marriages. Be with Pastor John and his wife. Give them a great marriage. Help them to show by example to their flock what marriage is supposed to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.